0: Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Amen. We're going to continue our series this morning. The title of our series is Why? Why? As you prepare uh, to jump into the word with me this morning, let's make our declaration, our faith and confidence that we make every single Sunday. You'll see it up there on the screen. Let's declare this over our lives. You know, Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 in verse 23 and 24, he said that we would have whatever we say. So we really take that seriously, that we we believe in the power of, of our words. And so I want you to declare this and speak this over your life this morning as we get ready to go into the word together. Can you do that? Say, thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. We believe that we're growing. In the things of God. I, you know, I, I think we ought to bring, bring confession back, man. If you go back a couple hundred years in church history, when churches would get together, they confessed all kinds of things. They publicly spoke things all the time. So people wonder, like, why do we do that? Because it's good. It's good to do it. It's good for your heart. It's good for your spirit. And uh, amen. So we like to confess things around here. Why, 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 why? Is the title of our series, and we're continuing it this week. Um, today, I'm just going to warn you. Today is going to be like drinking from a fire hose, so I want to invite you to just engage, try not to be overwhelmed. I literally have seven pages of notes, which I don't normally have that many notes, but I have. There's so many things that I have to to share with you this morning, and uh, uh, you know, with this series, we're, we're kind of engaging with ourselves, with our hearts and minds in a little bit different way than we typically do. Um, if you were here for last week, you can, you can attest to the reality of that. This, this series is about analysis of what we believe. We're analyzing what we believe and why it is that we believe it and why it is that that is so important for us. Um, If you were to go to Bible college, you would maybe take a class about this kind of stuff, and it would be called apologetics, uh, which is a term that's used to to defend or to justify something. Uh, We're building a case in this series for the things that are true. Uh, My only regret is that in this format, I don't have time to actually go as deep as I would love to go in many of these things. If you are a person who enjoys listening to apologetics, who enjoys listening to doctors, theologians, and professors debate things like the existence of God, you may find, which I love to do that, by the way. It's one of my favorite things. Y'all go enjoy the football game. I'm going to sit here and watch Professor John Lennox tear Richard Dawkins apart uh, for three hours in some Harvard classroom. It's going to be awesome. You guys have fun at the movies. I'll be here um but so if, if you're like me and you love to hear that kind of stuff and you love to immerse yourself in that this may feel shallow but i want to encourage you just just stick with me uh because i i think that what we're going to do and what we're going to say is going to be helpful to a lot of people um and and it may seem like i'm moving quickly through things that are much deeper and truthfully i am but it's only for time's sake so uh stick with me this morning and uh, we have so much to cover that, I, that I'm not going to do review of last week. So if you missed last week, go back and watch it on the stream. Uh, but can I pray over us as we begin? Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that the Bible says the entrance of your word gives light. This morning, Lord, we ask that the light and the truth of your word would penetrate the deepest places in our hearts, that it would stimulate us, cause us to grow, cause us to change and be reformed and refashioned into your image. This morning, Lord, would you breathe upon your word and speak to us in ways that each of our hearts individually will understand. We give you the praise and thanksgiving for this in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, say amen. Amen. Last week, I left you with a question. Regarding the nature of truth. Um, last week we I set up this series and we talked about why belief. And then I left you with a question regarding the nature of truth. We concluded that if we are to believe, then what we believe ought to be true. And so I asked you the famous question that Pontius Pilate asks as he stands before Jesus: what is truth? Now, the name of our series, again, is Why, and so we're asking ourselves every week one or more why questions. Last week, it was Why Belief. This week, it's Why Truth and Why the Bible. Why Truth and Why the Bible. And I'm going to give you some, I'm going to show you some stuff today that I hope genuinely blows your mind, because the Bible is a pretty amazing, amazing book. But let's start with this idea of why truth. We stated last week that belief demands truth. Belief demands truth. If we're going to believe something, which we last week said that we are going to believe something, then we ought to believe what is true. If we're going to believe something and we know we are, then what we believe ought to be true. Can I have a show of hands this morning if you have ever been lied to? Show of hands. All right. If you didn't raise your hand, I will assume that you are lying and I will raise my hand because you just lied to me. Okay? So if you've ever been lied to, you'd know it doesn't feel good to believe a lie. Yet millions, billions even, around the world and throughout history have believed things that weren't true. All of us included, because we just raised our hands. Again, belief demands truth. We as human beings have the innate capacity for belief and with it, the innate desire for truth. We say that one more time. Based on what we talked about last week, we have been built into us by God, the innate ability to believe. Well, with that innate ability to believe comes the innate desire for truth. So what is truth? Let's just jump right in and grab the bull by the horns this morning. What is truth? To state it in terms that my children would understand, truth is what is right rather than what is wrong. To state it in terms that a college professor would appreciate, Truth is the exact nature of reality. To state it biblically, truth is none other than the person of Jesus Christ. Of course, referring to John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, Jesus said. So what is truth? Well, it's the exact nature of reality. It's what's right and wrong. It's the difference between what's right and wrong. Why is truth important? Or let me ask it to you in this way. Why is truth under attack? You can oftentimes judge why something is so important by how many people it is trying to tear it down. Why is truth under attack? Because without the establishment of truth... There's utter lawlessness and decay. Without the establishment of truth, without the standard of truth in life, in society, and family, and culture, it leads in a downward spiral to decay. Can I ask you the question? When you see a stop sign, what's true? Are you supposed to stop when you see a stop sign? Why are you supposed to stop at a stop sign? so that you don't crash into the other cars trying to go through the same intersection at the same time, right? What happens if you take the stop sign away? Chaos, car accidents, lawlessness, decay. You see, truth acts as a guardrail to protect our lives from decay. The scripture states, My people perish for lack of knowledge. Knowledge of what is true causes people to thrive. Lack of it causes them to perish. This is why the enemy of our soul fights so hard against the notion of truth. This is why the devil fights so hard to abolish the idea even of truth. Why? Because he knows that if you understand what's true, you're going to thrive. And the devil will destroy anything and as many things as he possibly can, as often as he can. In fact, the devil's question has always been the same. How many of you remember the question that was asked from the serpent to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Has God really said? What is that? It's an attack on truth. Has God established the truth when he spoke? When he spoke to Adam, when he spoke to Eve, when he met with them in the cool of the day, as the scripture says, when he walked with them, he was establishing the truth of who he is to them. And it was only when the enemy came and offered up an alternative, as God really said, you know, that that's actually all the devil has to work with. I want to bring the devil down to size this morning for just a moment because we, we sometimes think that this big battle between good and evil and it's a power struggle between Jesus and the devil. Can I tell you something? The devil is so stinking defeated. It's just not even fair. It's just not even fair how, 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 oh, he's such a loser. He's such a weenie. The only thing that he has to work with is this question, hath God really said? That's his only trick, guys. That's the only trick that he does. Listen, Jesus went on to say that the devil was the father of lies. I like the way uh, Pastor John Tyson says it. He says, when the devil is speaking, and when he's he's speaking lies to you, he's speaking his native language. You see, deception comes and often uh, uh, presents us with imaginary options. God really said, hey, maybe there's a different way. Guess what? There's not. The truth, on the other hand, is objective. Truth is exclusive. I don't have time this morning to talk to, you about, to talk to you about the three laws of logic, but the second law of logic is called the law of non-contradiction, which tells us that something can't be true and false at the same time. So truth is by its very nature exclusive. The late Dr. Ravi Zechariah said this, truth by definition is exclusive. Everything cannot be true. If everything is true, then nothing is false. And if nothing is false, then it would also be true to say everything is false. Now, while you work that out to try to see if I've offended you or not, let me read it to you one more time. Truth by definition is exclusive. Everything cannot be true. And if everything is true, then nothing is false. And if nothing is false, then it would also be true to say everything is false. You can't have it both ways. Something cannot be true and false at the same time, despite what Immanuel Kant and Friedrich Nietzsche and Christopher Hitchens would have to you believe, the truth is not a social construct. In fact, it's the opposite that is the social construct. It was our culture that invented the idea of your truth and my truth. It was our culture that created that idea and reduced truth down to the level of opinion. Your opinion and my opinion may be different and equally valid, but one of us or maybe both of us is wrong. <laughs> there is no such thing as your truth and my truth. Well, it's just the way I see it. Well, the way you see it's fine. And you may be, true, you may be right and I may be wrong, but there is a truth It is objective, and it is absolute. In our desire to find God through this pursuit of belief and pursuit of truth, perhaps the fastest way to get there is by understanding that truth is supported by the presence of morality. Truth is supported by the presence of morality. Without the presence of truth, we see a moral vacuum left in its place. In fact, the aesthetic worldview can only exist in the absence of absolute truth and morality. When you study history, cultures that are the most destructive are the ones where that innate sense of truth and morality were either suppressed heavily or eliminated altogether. This atheistic worldview that we see, it can only exist where there's a moral vacuum, where truth has been pulled away or blinded from from culture at large. The cultures that are the most destructive are the ones where the innate sense of truth or morality has been stripped away. As one philosopher said, in some countries you love your neighbors, in others you eat them. True. Without truth, my friends, there is no morality. The two are intertwined. And can I tell you that God has intertwined himself in that mix as well? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, taught us about truth by explaining the presence of what he called the law of nature or moral law. He said it was fundamental and that no one needed to be taught moral law. It was as though it was coded into us as human beings. Truth points directly to a moral law and a moral standard. What do we mean by moral law? What do I mean when I say that morality is important? So you already know what I mean on the inside. If I walked up to you, Brother Marion, and I would never do this, but if I walked up to you and just punched you as hard as I could in the face what would you tell me you would say hey that was wrong right all the people that hurt yeah all the people watching me would have been like dude what are you doing that's not thank you did you have to be taught that no no, that's not a social construct. That's coded into the very fibers of who God has created to be. The reality of right and wrong. This moral law that Lewis called the law of nature. It's been drilled into who we are as human beings. What do we mean by a moral law? It's simple. We don't even need a degree to understand it. My three-year-old, or well, she's not three anymore. She's my six-year-old. <laughs> Holy Moses. My six-year-old knows this to be true. Your three-year-old knows this to be true. There's such a thing as right and wrong. Such a thing as right and wrong. I think that our society wants, wishes us to believe that this was not true. Right, wrong, good, evil, moral, immoral. Just a just a social concert, just something, just something that our, uh, you know that our evil overlords put in, uh, built into the fabric of society to keep us repressed and suppressed. My mind goes back to uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. You guys ever watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Y'all remember the people piling up the mud? You're living in a dictatorship. You know what's the part I'm talking about? Help, help, I'm being repressed. See the violent inherent in the system. Anyways, it's a great movie if you've never watched it. My wife doesn't like it. She doesn't appreciate British humor, but that's all right. I I still love her. That is true. Okay, all right, all right. I see where we're going here. (laughs) To quote Dr. Zacharias again, if we suppose a moral law, then we must presuppose a moral law giver. This is very, very, very important. Very important. If we believe that there's moral law encoded into the fabric of humanity and the only way that 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 moral law gets eliminated is by intention. If we suppose that morality has been built into the fabric of humanity, then we must also suppose that it came from somewhere. If we presuppose a moral law, we must presuppose a moral lawgiver. If there is a moral law, it had to come from somewhere, which brings me to my next why question today, which is why the Bible? Simply stated, truth came from God. And this is where I'm taking some big leaps and I don't have time to just get into the nitty gritty uh, with you. But just trust me when I say this. Truth came from God and it is revealed to us in his word. Of course, I'm talking about the Holy Bible. Why the Bible? We talked about why belief. We Talked about why truth. Belief and truth are essential innate processes. Why the Bible? How do we get from, I agree with the idea that there is such a thing as absolute truth. And then how do we make the leap from there to, man, the Bible is the authoritative inerrant word of the living God. Why can I trust the scripture. Have you ever had anybody ask you that before? Have you had a friend or a family member or a colleague ask you, why do you believe in the Bible? Why in the world would you believe in scripture? Those old, that that's old stuff. That's antiquated. That's ancient history, man. Why would you believe in the Bible? Allow me to do this this morning. I want to present you with three convincing truths. Three convincing truths that prove why the Bible can actually be trusted. Can we do that this morning? Now listen, there are more than three convincing truths, but I have 19 minutes and 34 seconds left on my timer. So we're going to cover three today. Okay. And, and, and truth, truthfully, I really want to blow your mind with some of these things because it is just, it's beyond question that the Bible is valid and it is the word of God. Amen. Oh, can I have a better amen from Christians this morning? Thank you. Three convincing truths that prove why the Bible can be trusted. Number one, the Bible is true because it's historically accurate. It is historically accurate. I was listening to Professor John Lennox this morning on my way into into church. If you don't know him, you should. But he said, you know, this all started in the beginning when the Bible says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't start by saying, in the beginning, God created all the things which we don't understand yet by scientific analysis. It didn't start that way. It started by saying, God created the heavens and the earth. That's totality. That's everything. The Bible is true because it is historically accurate. Because it begins with that moment in time when God started the whole show. Did you know that up until about the 1960s, scientists hadn't, hadn't come to accord and come to agreement on the starting of time? You know, how many, of you, how many of you went to school and you heard about something called the Big Bang Theory, right, or the Big Bang? Well, that, that idea of the Big Bang, when I was a kid, we were my, praise God, my blessed Christian parents who, who wanted me not to be corrupted, they, they taught me to hate that idea. Oh, we don't believe the Big Bang, we believe in God. Did you understand that the Big Bang is such proof of the fact that God started the universe at a specific time? And it wasn't until the 1960s that that actually became the thought in modern science. And actually, truth be told, it started in England. And the, the, the scientific folks that were around at that time hated the idea. And the reason they hated the idea of a start to the universe was because it gave too much credibility to the Bible. What's now, what's now believed widespread as scientific fact when it first came out in the early 1960s was threatening because it gave too much credibility to the Bible. Not only is the Bible filled with great principles, but it's entirely historically sound. People assume that the Bible couldn't be accurate because it contains the miraculous. Well, there's, the Bible can't be accurate. There's no such thing as a virgin birth, there's no such thing as shepherds seeing angels in the heavens. Those things couldn't possibly exist. Those are miraculous. Yeah, duh. Of course they're miraculous. That's why God had to write them down. Because they don't naturally occur in history on the regular. How many of you saw angels this morning when you went out to your car? How many of you have been swallowed by a fish and lived inside the belly of that fish for three days? Well, that doesn't happen in natural science. Of course it doesn't. It's called a miracle. And it gives us ground to believe in God, not take it away. Hmm. There's a little girl who wrote a research paper. She's about my daughter, Abigail's age, 10, 11. She wrote a research paper for her class about Jonah. And the teacher who was her teacher in the class didn't like it because the teacher was an atheist. And so she said, why'd you write this research paper about Jonah? She said, because I believe it. I believe that this happened. She said, "Well, yeah, okay, you believe that it happened, but you don't know that it happened for sure. How will you know? How can you know for sure that Jonah got swallowed by fish?" And the girl said, "Well, I'll tell you what. How about this? When I get to heaven, I'll ask him if this really happened or not." The teacher said, "What if he doesn't go to heaven? What if he goes to hell?" He said, "Okay, well then you ask him." <laughs> it's a true story. Historians, historians use three criteria, three standards to prove the validity of something as historically accurate. Three criteria. Number one, eyewitness accounts. All the writers of the Bible were eyewitnesses to what they saw. In fact, John goes so far as to say, these are the things which we witnessed with our own eyes. You go read 1 John. That's how he starts his book. He's like, not only am I telling you this, I watched it happen. the fundamentals of the stories in the Bible, all the eyewitness accounts match. The second thing that historians use are things that are recorded and copied with extreme care. So Historians care very much about how one thing gets passed from one generation to the next. They want to know, were these transcribed with authenticity and with care? Did you know that the Jewish people are known as the most historically particular scribes? That when they were transcribing from one piece of paper to the next, they didn't transcribe one word at a time. They transcribed one letter at a time. And when they get to the end of their transcribing process, they count the letters in both manuscripts. And if they're off by one letter, they throw it away and start over. This myth about translation, that there's error introduced into the text by translation, is a total myth and it's garbage. This was confirmed again and again and again, particularly in 1948 when archaeologists discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. And when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was the next, it was, the next, uh, it was a, a complete set of original manuscripts of the Old Testament and it proved perfect. The third is archaeological confirmation. Archaeology confirms all the cultures, empires, and people groups recorded in the Bible. Every single people group, every empire, every, every culture that's mentioned in scripture has since been discovered archaeologically. Archeolo- the Egyptians, the Hebrews, the Persians, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Mennonites, the Parasites, the, all, all the ites. They're all in there. The, 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 the biblical narrative is perfect. It's airtight. So the Bible has history on its side. Number two, the Bible is scientifically accurate. we're going to ratchet it up. I'm going to blow your mind a little more because I can tell some of you, your mind hasn't been blown yet, but we're getting there. Do you know that science evolves? Anybody ever looked at a science textbook when you were in school and noticed that at the top it says uh, edition 23, version 42, Science evolves. Why? Because knowledge increases. It grows. You know, what Galileo believed, it, some of the things he believed has been disproven and replaced and say, well, Galileo, was, he was almost there, but now that technology's improved, we can see some things that he can't. I was listening to, again, I love this kind of stuff. I was listening to Dr. Lennox talk about the cell. Did you know that when Darwin presented his uh, theory on evolution, he, he thought that cells were just blobs. He, didn't, he thought they were just blobs of energy. He didn't think there was anything inside of a cell. Do You know that science and nanotechnology now has, gives us the ability to look inside the cell and see that there are like cities on the inside. Every single cell in your body is like a city on the inside of it. And there are little things inside your cell moving. There are things, there are parts of your cell bringing pieces of information from one part of your cell to the other part of your cell. And you have over 10 trillion cells in your body. Every one of them is like a little city. The more finite our ability gets in science, the more we see the fingerprints of God on everything. There was a lecture that he did that was asking, uh, has science buried God? He said, science has far from buried God, but it might bury atheism in the next decade. Let me give you some examples of science changing. I'm taking too long. Is everybody okay? I still got some things to cover. Science has been able to evolve, but the truth has remained the same. Nobody's ever edited the Bible and said, hey, what you said there was scientifically wrong. In 1861, the French Academy of Science produced a book and is still in the vault in the Louvre Museum in Paris today. 1861, French Academy of Science produced a book titled 51 Incontrovertible Scientific Facts That Prove the Bible is Wrong. Since 1861, all 51 of those incontrovertible scientific facts have been disproven. Every one of them. Science changes and science improves, but truth stays the same. Let me give you another example. Is this fun for you? This is very fun for me. In in 150 BC, this is 150 years before the coming of Jesus, a guy by the name of Hipparchus, you're glad your parents didn't name you Hipparchus, a guy by the name of Hipparchus believed we could count all the stars. He said, guys, we can count the stars, and I counted them. Are you ready? 1,022 stars, I counted them. Go check. I got them all. 300 years later, in 150 AD, a Greek scientist by the name of Ptolemy recounted the stars, and he discovered that Hipparchus was wrong. Hipparchus said there are 1,022 stars. He said there's actually 1,026. You missed four of them, man. Four. I looked it up. Thank you, Google. According to the European Space Agency today, astronomers estimate there are 100,000 million stars in the Milky Way galaxy alone. 100,000 million. That sounds like a number my daughter Sophia makes up when she tells me how much she loves me. Daddy, I love you 100 million thousand billion 92 billion. I love you too, baby. Science changes. Science improves, but truth stays the same. You know why? It doesn't have to change. Truth doesn't need to be altered. Part of the beauty of the Bible is that it never really argues with science. We think it does because we see scientists arguing with it, but the science never argues with the Bible. Time and again, scripture validates some new scientific discovery that happens. Take, for example, Sir Isaac Newton. He was one of the fathers of modern science. He he discovered the law of gravity. His laws of physics are to this day what is taught in every higher education class on physics. He said these words, gravity so then, excuse me, so then gravity may put the planets into motion, but without the divine power, it could never put them into such a circulating motion as they have around the sun. Guys like Isaac Newton, guys like Copernicus and Galileo going way back, they didn't study science void from an understanding of God. It was their understanding of God that provoked them to discover how it was done. Professor Lennox says, Christianity's view of the universe as created by an intelligence, is at the bedrock of the development of modern science. It was the belief in God that was the motor that drove the rise of science. So not only does the Bible have archaeology and history on its side, it's got science on its side too. Number three, and this is my last point. The Bible is prophetically and thematically accurate. This is the one that's going to blow your mind the most, okay? The Bible is prophetically and thematically accurate. You know what I mean when we say prophetic. It means it's a prediction of something to come. The Bible is how many books in the Bible? Anybody know? 66. Gold star. The Bible is a compilation of 66 different books written over 1,600 years by over 40 authors on three different continents in three different languages. And the narrative from Genesis to Revelation is perfect. I want you to think about that for a second. 66 different books written, transcribed by 40 plus authors over the course of 1,600 years, each of them on three different continents and written in three different languages. And it's a perfect narrative start to finish. Do you understand how ridiculously impossible that is? It's got to be supernatural. The vast majority of the authors never met each other. Peter knew who Joel was, but when Joel prophesied, he had no idea who Peter was going to be four centuries from now. What if we took three people today? One of them lived in Avery County. One of them lived in Watauga County. And one of them lived in Ashe County, just to give them the benefit of, you know, living close to each other. What if we asked three different authors, one from each county, to write a book that would be compiled into a trilogy? And we said, go ahead and do it, take as much time as you need. At the end of their book writing, do you think there would be one cohesive thought between those three books? Not a chance. Yet the Bible was 66 books written over 1,600 years across three continents in three languages, and it's perfect. It never contradicts itself. Do you know that there are hundreds of specific prophecies about the coming of Jesus? Not like easy stuff, like Messiah's going to come and he's going to be real nice. (laughs) You're going to like him. No, things like he's gonna be born in Bethlehem but raised in Nazareth. When he's young, his family will escape on foot and go to Egypt. And then 30 years later, he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and then he's gonna be killed by crucifixion. That's five specific prophecies about Jesus. He fulfilled all of those. Do you understand how mathematically improbable it is that someone would be able to fulfill that many things about themselves by accident? The equivalent to what I just mentioned would be like Christopher Columbus predicting that someone was going to be born in Boone, but raised in Withville, Virginia, and the family was going to escape to Birmingham, Alabama on foot, and then 30 years later, he's going to ride into Winston-Salem on a dune buggy, and right before that, or right, right after that, he's going to be killed by a method of killing that we don't even have yet here's the wild thing when David prophesied that Jesus would be crucified here's the wild thing the Roman Empire didn't even exist yet and it was the Romans who invented crucifixion so his ability to predict and foretell that Jesus was going to be killed by a method of murder that didn't even exist yet and these are just five specific prophecies there are hundreds of these in the 66 books that we call the Bible you want a little more Sure, of course you do. 1958, Dr. Peter Stoner of Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California, published his findings after he conducted a thorough study with 100 other scientists of the mathematical probabilities of the accuracy of the Bible. Just wait, this is going to mess you up. Dr. Stoner was an expert in statistical analysis and in the calculation of probability, specifically. He and his team conducted a study for several years to determine the probability of the prophecies about Jesus coming true. And they looked at eight specific prophecies from the Old Testament. They concluded that for one person to fulfill just eight of the hundreds of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled would be one in 10 to the 17th power. Can we see that on the screen, please? That's 10 with 17 zeros. That's a lot, that's a big number. That's bigger than Sophia's number. Okay? That's huge. Now, to contextualize this number, contextualize this number. Let's imagine that you covered the entire state of Texas with silver dollar coins two feet deep. Keep in mind, it takes, Mark Smith is from Texas, he can tell you. It takes 14 hours to drive from one side of Texas to the other. This is a big piece of property. Imagine that you had this many silver dollars, 10 to the 17th power. it would would cover the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollar coins. Now imagine that you take one of those silver dollar coins, mark it red, toss it somewhere in the middle of the state of Texas, blindfold my wife, and ask her to go into the state of Texas and pull out that red coin on the first try. That is the probability of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies about himself. In order for one person to fulfill 16 of the prophecies, it would be one in 10 to the 45th power. In order for him to fulfill 48 prophecies, it would be one in 10 to the 157th power. Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies in the Old Testament. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. What I'm trying to say to you is that the mathematical and statistical probability of the Bible being erroneous is a number so high that we don't even have an analogy that can represent it in a way we can understand. I think the the closest thing, I was racking my, my brain looking at numbers like this this week, the closest thing I can even compare it to would be to go to the beach and scoop a handful of sand and look in that handful of sand and realize, oh man, there's maybe 30, 40,000 grains of sand in my hand right now. How many are on this beach? How many are on all the beaches in the state of North Carolina? How many are on all the beaches in 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 the North American coastline? How many grains of sand are there in all the beaches in all the world? and realize we're just scratching the surface of the intelligence of the God. This is why David says in Psalm 14, verse one, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Can I ask you a question this morning that maybe you've never considered? Why did David say the fool has said in his heart? Why is this person a fool? I started thinking about that this week. Why is this person a fool? I mean, the Bible says that nature itself, Paul says that nature itself prophesies of the goodness of God. David said that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hand. I mean, all we have to do is look around us and the evidence around us for the existence of God is overwhelmingly there. So why is this man who doesn't trust in God called a fool? Does he doesn't have any evidence of God? No. I think we've proven that to not be true. I believe that he's a fool because despite the evidence, he just desperately wants there not to be a God. I think that when we're, when we're talking to our friends and our family and our relatives, our people, and they're struggling to justify their position when they don't believe in a God, I think we need to understand why perhaps it is that they don't believe. Not because there aren't mountains of evidence. But because in, in many cases, they just don't want there to be a God. Why don't they want there to be a God? Because if there's not a God, if there's not a standard of truth, if there's not an objective reality, maybe, just maybe, it won't hurt so much. Now we finally come to it. There's not a God, if there's... If there's a God in heaven, why does it hurt so bad? There's a Jesus who really loves me. Why is life so hard? Why did she do that to me? Why did he do that to me? Why did they die? Why did they, why, why, why did this happen? See, when we come into the most difficult places in our lives, we're forced into a corner where we have to address the things that we believe In those moments, it becomes easier for us to throw away the idea of truth, to throw away the idea of objective reality. If I can rid the world of meaning, then perhaps life won't hurt so much. I believe the biggest reason that people resort to a life of atheism or at the very least agnosticism is that they're doing everything they can to explain away their pain. Believing in God is what got me to this point. I don't want to believe in him anymore because it hurts. She did this to me. He did this to me. They left me. They abandoned me. Why is life so hard? When difficult things happen in our lives, the often immediate response and question we have is to reject the things that we believe. But, the, but, but here's the thing, if you're really hungry for what's true, always find God. And though it may feel like the easy way out to, to reject the Lord when things get difficult, this is the time when we must press in and embrace who he is in spite of all the craziness that we may see around us. I've done my best this morning to present you with a a, a multi-angled approach as to why you can believe in God and why you can believe in the Bible. Truth, truth truth is the reality, man. Truth is absolute. We're not gonna escape it. Morality is built on the basis of truth. And that morality and that truth was communicated to us and revealed to us by God in his word. This Bible that we have, why is it that we can believe in it? For so many reasons. Maybe the most important one is that out of this word, God has revealed himself to you. Out of this word, God has brought healing into your life. How many of you can say with certainty, I know God is real because he met me, because he came into my world and he changed me. Oh man, I've got this Bible and I believe every word of it. Why? Because it's been proven as being true in my life. Despite the pain, despite the challenges, despite the rejection, despite this, that, and the other, despite the ugliness of life, God has remained faithful to his word and he will continue to do so. So, if the Bible is true, and I think we've talked about convincing reasons why it's, why it's true, if the Bible is true, then what it says about itself and what it says about God must also be true. I leave you with this thought this morning. What does the Bible say about itself? I mean, if it's mathematically probably right, like we talked about, what does the Bible say about itself? Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, Piercing the division of soul and spirit, it goes right down to the joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. This word and this word alone has the ability to pierce the depth of your heart and show you what is right. And when it does, you can't escape it. And when it does, You don't want to escape it. There's joy when the Bible goes to work on you. We always talk about reading our Bible. When's the last time the Bible read you? So if the Bible is true, what does it say about itself? Secondly, what does it say about God? What does the scripture say about God? You have to come back next week and find that answer out. Let's stand up to our feet. My desire is to help you to answer the questions of the critics in your life. Critics, they're funny. They're interesting. You know, know, it doesn't take anything to be a critic. It really doesn't, man. John Maxwell says this, and I love it. He says, you know, he says, every football team, every baseball team, every soccer team, every basketball team would love to have that one athlete that can do it all, that can read the coach's mind, that can, that can see the play before it happens, that know exactly what to do in every situation, that understand the rules and the referees, that understand the game inside and out. He said, the problem is you can never get that guy to put his hot dog down and come in from out of the stands. It doesn't take anything to be a critic. But it takes an awful lot if you want to go the distance in the game. With this series, my desire is to put you in the game and give you the resources that you need to go the distance so that when that cousin asks you why you believe in the Bible, you'll have an answer for him. When that neighbor asks you why it is that you pray in Jesus' name, why do you serve a God you can't see, you'll have a good answer for him. I want to encourage you to to press in with us as we go through this series. Next week, we're going to talk about two questions. Why God and why Jesus? Oh, baby, you don't want to miss next week. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.